This is what I would consider using regret to self-correct and make better decisions in the future based on your past mistakes. I think an important thing in life, Gabe, is not to waste a good mistake. Mistakes are opportunities to learn. And if you can use the mistakes of other people, it's even a better thing to do. You're listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast where experts share experiences and the latest thinking on mental health and psychology. Here's your host, Gabe Howard. Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm your host, Gabe Howard, and calling in today, we have Robert L. Leahy, Ph.D., Dr. Leahy was instrumental in disseminating the Cognitive Behavioral Therapy Model, or CBT, that is widely used by therapists today. He's also the recipient of the Aaron T. Beck Award from the Academy of Cognitive and Behavioral Therapies, and his latest book, If Only, Finding Freedom from Regret, is out now. Dr. Leahy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Gabe, for having me on. I hope it's a good day for you. Oh, I hope it's a good day for you and for all of our listeners as well. And in fact, speaking of my listeners, I don't know about them. But I win every argument after the fact in the shower. And when I say after the fact, I I mean even years later. If only I had said this. If only I had done this. If only I had realized that. These are the secrets to my string of after the fact shower victories. Am I alone in this rehashing of over and done with conflict, this ruminating on past failures? Or is this a common thing? I don't think you're alone, Gabe. I mean, I think it's a universal phenomenon that we tend to replay things in our mind about how they could have done gone better, or we anticipate how things could go wrong or the options that we could have had. So this is part of being human. And one of the things I argue in my book, if only, is that the ability to uh, regret uh, past decisions or to anticipate regret can actually be productive at times. It can be a useful emotion. Of course, it can be a disabling emotion, but we need to look at both both parts of regret. When I think about doing it, I just, I think about what an utter waste of time it is because it it's over. When I say years later, I I think back to like high school breakups. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm almost 50 years old and I'm still trying to win an argument that I had with my high school girlfriend. It does this have any protective factor benefit whatsoever? Or is it just, am I just helplessly stuck in the past trying to right wrongs that frankly probably aren't relevant anymore. Right. So what you're describing is, is what I would call unproductive regret. You're, you're ruminating about it. Uh, there's nothing that you can do to make it better. And hopefully you've learned from the experience and moved on to a better relationship. I think one, one reason, the only reason to live in the past, uh, as one person said, is that the rent was cheaper. But uh, replaying old themes and stories from relationships that have been over for 30 years uh, is not a very productive use of regret. I think of productive regret as something that I can learn from that I could use today. So, for example, if I, if I eat spicy food uh, late at night, I anticipate I'll regret that because I won't be able to get a good night's sleep. That anticipation of regret might keep me from eating uh, the spicy food. You know, what, one of the things that they've done research on, Gabe, is actually trying to get people to anticipate regret about not taking their medication for hypertension. So people who have high blood pressure, 50% of them a year later are not taking the medication. And that's a real problem because if you don't take your medications, a greater 
chance of stroke. So in one study, they asked people to think about what it would be like if they were in a wheelchair or they had a paralysis on part of their body. Uh, and this increased compliance to taking medication. So that's an example of productive regret. You're replaying issues and conversations and breakups from your youth uh, is not productive. I feel very validated when when someone with a PhD who's done a lot of research agrees with me, right? I, I know that it's not productive. I know that it's not helping me. I'm just sort of stuck in this rut that I can't get out of. Now, you know, my dog doesn't seem to be dwelling on mistakes that he made in his puppyhood. It just seems like a very human thing to do, to regret these things that are, are frankly over with. Yeah, it's what, it's what some uh, anthropologists or historians uh, describe as the cognitive revolution in human, human evolution. It's the ability to think about what could be, what, what's called counterfactuals. So it could be that things would go wrong, could things that things go right. It's able to think about the future and the different possibilities, or to think about the past and the different possibilities. And this is facilitated probably by the emergence of language and communication about you know, being able to describe things that could or could not happen. Whereas your cat, your dog is actually kind of a Zen mindful creature. You know, they're living in the, they're living in the present moment. You know, what this smells like, what this looks like. You know, I've always said that cats, cats have only four cognitions. So they don't end up having regrets or worries. The four cat cognitions are this feels good. This doesn't feel good. I want that. And what's next? <laughs> you, you mentioned, you said Zen and that, that, that really did pique my interest. And then you mentioned cats, which of course the whole internet loves cats and podcasts live <laughs> on the internet. So I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask a follow-up question that had to do with cats and Zen. How do we become more Zen like our cats? Uh, well, I think, you know, living in the present moment is good for some moments. You know, I think, you know, I think about regret as having, the right emotions to the right degree about the right thing at the right time. Regrets, anticipating regret about the future is not, is not mindfulness of the present moment. It's anticipating something that could happen that has not happened or thinking about what happened in the past, what could have happened. That's not mindfulness. That's not living in the present moment. Living in the present moment can be useful at times if you're plagued by intrusive thoughts. Like, oh, my God, this is the end of the world or whatever it is. So sometimes grounding yourself in the present moment. But as one friend of mine said, the only creature who lives entirely in the present moment is a mosquito. So you have to think about not only the present moment, the future moments and the past moments. And I think this is the, the advantage and the curse of being a human being. Uh, not all the, the abilities we have make us happy. But what they do they make us have the capability of being able to pursue more possibilities. So anticipating regret uh, helps us anticipate risk, helps us anticipate losses that could occur in the future, uh, helps us anticipate that we may not have enough food to last through a difficult time. And that can be very, very helpful. So if you want to be a cat, you might be able to uh, get a good night's sleep and stay in the present moment and uh, have a different diet, but it's not going to be good for your career. I, I can certainly understand that. And I, I've seen a lot of pictures of cats and kittens sleeping, and they, they look like they don't have a care in the world. 
they don't. All of their needs are taken care of by others. And that, that is something that humans don't have. But it's, it's an interesting thought to think about how can we just be as chill and as zen and as calm and arguably as happy as a cat. But I've never really seen cats achieve much. They've never, they've never written a symphony or written a book or it's different, but people do compare. We like to personify our animals, right? We, we like to think, Ooh, how can I be how can I be like them? But it's, it's, it's probably apples and oranges. In fact, I, I know that it's apples to oranges. I just, I, I really like my animals and I, I want to be like them. Is this something that gets people tripped up where they compare themselves not only to their animals, but also to others? They think that other people don't have regrets. Other people don't make mistakes. Other people aren't ruminating about this. I'm the only one. And this, is this something that gives us extra stress, tension, and, and fear well, yeah. I mean, it, this is what I describe as the normal, normalizing regret or jealousy or envy or resentment or uh, boredom or ambivalence. You know, you, I'm sure, and everybody that you know, we all have problems, and problems are just simply part of being human. One of the problems that people have, let's say, with regret is they think, I shouldn't have these regrets, and uh, I have to get rid of them, as opposed to having a strategy, like asking, is this going to be a productive regret or unproductive regret? Am I going to learn something from it or am I wasting my time? Uh, am I spending a little bit of time with it or am I ruminating on it? You know, Am I correcting myself and learning from my mistakes or am I just criticizing myself? So we have to think about that these, these emotions evolve because they helped us. Regret helped us plan the future. Regret helped us control our emotions and our behaviors so that we don't act out in ways that will have negative outcomes. Uh, regret in the form of guilt uh, helped us repair relationships by apologizing and asking for forgiveness or in the ability to give forgiveness to somebody who is guilty. So these emotions are part of human nature, uh, which has a lot of advantages and a lot of disadvantages. In our culture, we have words like FOMO and YOLO. FOMO is fear of missing out, and and YOLO is you only live right. once. Is are are these just basically regret prevention strategies? Are are doing things simply to prevent potential regret a, a good strategy at all? This is a great question. Um, social media, I think, feeds into this with this kind of idealized world of people having great vacations, great relationships, great emotions. It's what I call existential perfectionism. Like there's a world out there that I should be living where everything is wonderful and my job should be fulfilling. I should never be bored. My relationship should always be magnificent and all that kind of stuff. So this kind of idealization uh, sets you up for misery. Life, life is filled with noise. It's filled with positive things, negative things. It's about trade-offs. And all of the emotions that we describe in anxiety and sadness, depression, hopelessness, and all that, these are emotions that come day-to-day for many, many people. So this kind of fear of missing out, or you only live once, uh, if you look at the fear of missing out, everybody's missing out on something every single moment of the day. You're talking to me rather than talking to somebody else or playing with your dog or your kids or whatever, we're always missing out on something. Like, for example, one thing that that you often see people, they fall in love 
with somebody who's married to somebody else, right? And they think, oh, if I were with that person who's married to somebody else, if I were that person, my life would just be great. And so what they do is they fantasize about what that life is going to be. And in the event that they actually end up with that person, it's not going to turn out to be what the fantasy was because nothing in life turns out to be a fulfilled fantasy for very long. And so this kind of existential perfectionism, which is part of our, uh, I think, our current culture of narcissism, is something where we begin thinking, oh, my God, I'm missing out on that perfect life that Susan or Juan or Judy or Tom has. This kind of like existential perfectionism actually ends up making you feel a sense of loss and deprivation in a life that actually is not too bad. You know, Americans are, in terms of a large economy, whatever, per capita, the richest people in the world ever. But people feel, I don't have enough. Enough compared to what? Somebody once told me that comparison was the death of happiness. And (laughs) as as I listen to you speak, it it really does make a lot of sense. It's like, well, I have a lot of things and I'm really happy. Well, but did you see what they had? Oh, you're right. I'm miserable now. Right, right. Is this a form of regret, this, this desperate need to compare? Like, I regret that I don't have what I perceive that they have? Well, what it is, is something that is going to contribute to your regret. And it's a, I, I grew up poor. And you know, people, oh, poor Bobby grew up poor. You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not eulogizing poverty. But what I did learn from being poor is to be grateful for everything I have. Uh, and also to be able to have empathy and compassion toward people who struggle economically. So the social comparison thing, ideally, what we tend to do is we tend to compare upwards. That's what leads to envy and regret. Oh, you know, there are these people who are billionaires, they have their own jet and the whole thing. We seldom compare ourselves downwards. Like you often think, oh my God, that this person has so much more than I have. You don't think about, well, how about the homeless person sitting on the street in the cold weather or the people in Ukraine who are being bombed on a regular basis. I think that this this sort of this unfair social comparison, there's always going to be somebody who has more. Always going to be somebody who has more, whose life seems more grand and fulfilling or interesting or famous, whatever. But so what? The thing that's interesting, Gabe, you when you when they looked at the regrets that people have as they anticipate dying, people in, 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 who are who are dying, uh, they they collected this information. They found that the regrets were: I wish I had not spent as much time at work. I wish I had said to told people I loved them. I wish I had kept contact with my friends. I wish I had allowed myself to be true to my emotions. None of them had to do with accumulating wealth or fame or or power. Any of these things. Ironically, the things that really matter in human happiness and human contentment are everyday things. Like, for example, Gabe, you told me uh, before the before the uh, broadcast that you have a backyard where you can run your dog. I'll bet your dog is one of the major sources of happiness in your life. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. How many dogs and cats are there who are uh, better than Prozac? You know, right? Um or you think about like being with your partner or being with your children or just simply uh, having a moment where you, you're grateful about something. 
these are ways I think of grounding us in the true values that make us immune to regret. Regret is always about something could be better, right? But you know, everything could be worse. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Gabe Howard here to tell you about the Inside Bipolar podcast from Healthline Media. He does the show with me, Dr. Nicole Washington, a board-certified psychiatrist. That's right. A guy living with bipolar and a psychiatrist team up to discuss living well with bipolar disorder. Listen now on your favorite podcast player or visit psychcentral.com IBP to learn more. Subscribe now so you don't miss out. And we're back with Dr. Robert L. Leahy discussing his new book, If Only, Finding Freedom from Regret. During our discussion, we've we've been talking a lot about regrets, but we've also been talking about regrets and guilt as if they're the same thing. But are are regret and guilt the same thing? I I ask specifically because I've always thought as guilt as a protective factor, after all, isn't guilt how we keep from making the same mistakes over and over again? But regret seems deeper than that. Well, all of this, everything that you've said is, is, is somewhat true. I think in our in our contemporary culture of feel good all the time and do your own thing, that guilt has got an unnecessarily bad name. Here's an example, Gabe. Let's imagine if you were single, you're in your late 20s, and you're looking for uh, maybe a lifetime partner. And you meet this person, they tell you, you know, Gabe, I really like you, but I have to tell you that I'm incapable of any guilt or shame. I never feel guilt or shame. I just do what I want to do, right? How likely are you to think you want this to be your lifetime partner or even a friend or a colleague? So guilt can have a a, a socially cohesive function. In other words, it can help us stay together because I know that my partner would feel guilty or ashamed if they did something that that violated the trust. Uh, In fact, the research shows that in offices and business environments, that if we know that somebody is capable of guilt. We tend to trust them more and we want to work with them. Guilt, though, is not the same thing as regret. Guilt is regret on steroids. Like I could I could regret that I made a mistake on my taxes and I had to pay, uh, pay a penalty. Uh, I don't feel guilty about it. I think, oh, a stupid mistake. I had to pay a penalty. So guilt is like a moralistic evaluation of myself, that I'm a bad person, that was a bad thing to do, and that I should feel guilty, I should feel bad about it. Now, having said this, I think that to some extent, yes, people should feel bad about violating the rights of other people. They should feel bad about it, they should feel guilty. But their guilt is not enough. Their guilt is a step to a next step. And the next step could be making restitution, making an apology, correcting your behavior, trying to make yourself a better person, we think about guilt as a final point as opposed to the step to the next chapter. And I, I always think that we need to think about our life as 
maybe the guilt, maybe the mistake we made was one chapter in our lives. Maybe the next chapter is a different chapter where we become a better person. And that could be the goal. How is this going to help me become a better person? How is this going to help me repair and rebuild the trust? How is this going to help me be a person that people will trust? The way to gain trust is to be trustworthy. And the way to be trustworthy sometimes is to have a sincere apology. And the ability to apologize and to be convincingly sincere is a great, great asset for your relationships. I'm sure you know people who never apologize. I do. I do indeed. Yeah, you don't want to be around those people. I mean, you may be, but you, you feel like something's left out. Something's left out. You feel like, you know, well, yeah, they're just justifying. They're just saying to move on. They're being dismissive of the injury. But, you know, it's like the uh, play Death of a Salesman. You know, attention should be paid. We need to pay attention to what happened. We need to validate the injury that we caused. I mean, nobody ever says, gee, I'm getting too much validation today, right? Very, very good point. <laughs> For validate. You know, when in doubt, validate. You know, if you have a conversation with a total stranger, if you validate Everything, every emotion that they describe, so I think, and you're saying that's hard for you and that was difficult. A lot of people would feel that way and tell me more about the way it made you feel. You're going to think you're the greatest person in the world without knowing anything about you. And that's because we're all hungry for validation. Because validation is like the mother looking in the eyes of the child who's upset. It's comforting. It's fundamental. It's part of human nature. Dr. Leahy, thank you so much for being here. I, I do have to ask before we, we leave, though, it, it, it seems like in, in some ways regret is good and in some ways regret is bad. And it it reminds me of every fitness app I've ever downloaded or or every you know food journal or diet and exercise where it says the key is moderation. And, and as I'm listening to you talk, I'm thinking, so the key here is to have regret in moderation. A am, am I on to something here? Because I... I really expected that the lesson was going to be regret is bad, get rid of it, don't waste time on it. And it just seems like our discussion has led me to a place where I think, huh, regret seems much more nuanced than I originally suspected. Well, I, th I thank you for that question, for all the other questions that you've asked. Here, here's the way I look at it. I go back to Aristotle. Uh, and Aristotle described virtues like courage and self-control. These virtues were, it's not like you, you, you want to have courage where you just run into a machine gun and allow yourself to be mowed down, right? That, that's being ridiculous and crazy and self-destructive. So what he did is he looked at courage or, or strength or any of the virtues. It's to have, if we can use them to think about regret, it's to have regret about the right things in the right way at the right time expressed in the right way. So having regret about, oh, I made a mistake on my taxes 10 years ago, and I should criticize myself for the rest of my life, that's not the right thing to be regretful for, and it's not the right duration, it's not the right way to express it. Uh, having regret about uh, causing harm to somebody and hurting their feelings, that's the right thing to have regret about, to express it in terms of an apology, and to ask for forgiveness and try to be a better person. So it's it's not simply moderation, but that that's part of it. That's part of Aristotle's model of uh, virtue. But it's about the right things, having the right regrets. 
having the right regrets about hurting people, being unfair or being unkind or whatever it would be, and expressing it in the right way to the right degree for the right amount of time. Well, I feel that for a lot of regrets, there should be a, a statute of limitations. Like if you regret breaking up a relationship when you're 18 years old, well, I think that the statute of limitations probably expired a long time ago because, frankly, a relationship when you're 18 year old has an expiration date of 12 months. I really like the idea of a statute of limitation on regret and guilt. I, I, I wish we could all codify that into some sort of agreed upon law. I think it would be better for our collective mental health. Dr. Leahy, thank you. Thank you once again for being here. I know that we can find your book on Amazon or wherever fine books are sold. Do you have a web presence? Where can folks find you? Yeah, so our website is cognitivetherapynyc.com, cognitivetherapynyc.com. And you can, uh, you can find me there along with other uh, media information. But Gabe, I want to thank you for your very thoughtful and insightful and interesting questions. They actually made me think about these things in a way that was enjoyable for me. You are very welcome, Dr. Leahy. And a big thank you to all of our listeners. My name is Gabe Howard, and I'm an award-winning public speaker who could be available for your next event. I'm also the author of Mental Illness is an Asshole and Other Observations, which is on Amazon, or you can grab a signed copy with free show swag or learn more about me just by heading over to GabeHoward.com. Wherever you downloaded this episode, please follow or subscribe to the show. It is absolutely free. And can you do me a favor? Recommend the show to a friend, a family member, a colleague, in a support group, on social media. Hell, send a text. Sharing the show is how we grow. I will see everybody next time on Inside Mental Health. You've been listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast from Healthline Media. Have a topic or guest suggestion? Email us at show at psychcentral.com. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash show or on your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening.